if, if you have your Bible or you can look at the Jumbo Bible on the screen, Psalm chapter 8. How great is that? You know, if you forgot it, you're still a Christian. doesn't matter because um, we provide it for you. Um, or you have your phones, but, um, but I, we always train, I try to train my interns and leaders, don't use your phone because then it looks like you're texting. And I don't care if you're taking notes. It looks like you're texting. And then they're like terrified when I'm preaching and they see me, they like pull my phone away. This girl, she's like, oh gosh, I, I don't judge you. You're fine. You're fine. I see it. I see the notes. They're open. I see it. Um, <laughs> this is going to be fun. Being married and preaching is the best. Okay. Psalm chapter eight. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are even mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of all your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Come on, somebody, that's a we got a big job. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen, church. Come on, we could just, the reading of the word is powerful enough, isn't it? If you let it speak to you. But let's believe God's going to speak something to each and every one of us this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that your presence really is here. Jesus, I feel it. I love this church, Lord. And I, I feel your pleasure for this church. You love this church. Lord, you, you have a special gift and anointing and mantle for Church 1132. And Lord, I thank you for the weekend, Lord, the conference and the words that were spoken, the prophetic insight, Lord, uh, the meaningful moments that we all experienced through conference, conference weekend. And I pray today would just be, uh, it, it would accentuate what you've done, what you've said, what you've spoken, and how you've moved. And so, Lord, I pray today would just move us even further into this year and into what you've called us to, what you've spoken to us what you're speaking to us now. Lord, we thank you that today would just be uh, another moment, Lord, that would remind us about the goodness, generosity, and the beauty of our God. Lord, I thank you for your presence. I, I, I know it's here. I thank you for the, the great honor and responsibility and gift to get to preach about you, about your goodness, about your love. I don't take it lightly, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you would use me just simply as a vessel to communicate what you want to say how you want to move, and what you want to do. This is your service. This is your church. This is your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you truly would have full reign in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, uh, I, I spoke a series in our church. Um, I'm the college young adult, young adult pastor at our church. So we have our, we, and we do ours on Sunday night, and it's fire. So I'm excited about your 6 p.m. because Sunday night's just like, it, it, like, it's like we love Jesus a little bit more or something, except football season. It can be rough, but the Lord will help you through. Because our team, the Cowboys, oh gosh, I'm, they're my team, but I'm going to go for the Chiefs, okay? So I like that Patrick Mahomes. This seems good. Um, so <laughs> we did this series on the generosity of God, and 
I spoke this message, and it's just been, it's been changing me, really. And um, so if you're, if you're writing notes, if you're taking notes, you'll, you're, you're closer to Jesus. So here's a title for you if you need one, you note takers. That was a joke, okay? You don't have to take notes. But um, the title of this talk is um, Look Up to the Stars, Look Up to the Stars. Um, and I was, as I was, I was preparing for this series that we did, we talked, I, I really wanted to teach our young people, our college young adults, they didn't, it was honestly because they don't know how to give. And so I was like, we got to talk about generosity. Welcome to pastors. You know, it's like, what are we going to preach on? What are we not good at? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, that's what we got to preach on. We got to teach the to give the theology and background of it. Well, so I started studying just the generosity of God. And I didn't think it was going to take me to Psalm chapter eight. I thought it was going to take me Corinthians, you know? Paul talks a lot about giving, and the Corinthian church, the church of Corinth, understood this, and so I thought that's where it was going to go. I don't even think I preached out of that, the whole generosity series. Um, and God took me to Psalm chapter 8 and gave me this picture, and this is, this is why I think this is a good context for generosity, is uh, we need to see God for who he really is. And when we see God for who he really is, then our life reflects it, looks like it, believes it, no matter what comes our way. Because I, 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 we were joking. I mean, I love that Refiner song is like my jam. I get a little nervous when I have to sing the part that's like, try me by fire. I'm like, ah. I kind of just like breathe. I, I love that song. I, it gets on repeat. Like I'm listening to it all the time. But I'm like, but God, like, but not literally, you know. I'm a sacrifice. I'm like, I, I love the part where then it's like, and you know, you know, whatever you want to desire, take my life. I'm like, that's the part I like. You know, I like that part. And I get really loud singing that part. Um, but we, we love the idea of God using us and doing stuff in and through our life. Um, but the reality is when difficulty comes, then we start to go, mm, where are you, God? Are you really good? Like we sing, you want to try me by fire, but the, the next fire you go through, you're going to question God's goodness and his generosity. You're going to be like, what? And he'll be like, you sang it really loud. <laughs> I mean, that comes in every, it comes in a different way. No, God's not going to like, oh, okay, I'm going to make them suffer. Our God's not like that. We live in a broken world though. And so we go through trials, we go through situations and typically our response to them, unfortunately, unless you're a better Christian than me and you probably are because church 1132, you are amazing. But my response tends to be, where are you God? I thought you were good. I thought you were generous. I thought you were all powerful thought you were sovereign. You know, we start to like use these things. We, it's like as if we use the theology that we've, uh, the foundation of, in our theology and what we know and believe about God and then we use it against him. The moment pain and suffering or disappointment or just our timing is not God's timing. And all of a sudden we use it against him. So as I was studying this, I realized in order to be generous and understand the generosity of God, we have to really get a foundation for understanding just how majestic and big and powerful he is. Because my, this is my thing. No matter what I go through in my life, my, my goal and my, my desire and it's for me for sure, but as a leader and a pastor and a follower of Jesus, I know that what I do, everyone watches. And that's not just for pastors. You know that. If you're a follower of Jesus, people are watching you. So you better be careful you're going to work going, oh, yeah, I go to church. They're going to watch you real close now. So when the boss gets mad and you don't like what's going on and you get, you know, there's some tiff in the, in the workplace and you start gossiping and you start acting where, guess what? They're watching you real close. They're like, what are the Christian going to do? 
I don't even believe in Christians, but what is this one going to do? You know what I'm saying? And so it's our job and, and it's my desire that no matter what my life brings and no matter the path that God takes me on, that I still, at the end of the day, whew, I live and breathe and believe my God is generous. It's just who he is. But we got to get there, and there's a framework to get there. And I think Psalm chapter 8 helps us in this. And so this is the question I pose to all of us today is what is it that you believe about God or what do you think about God? Do you think he's generous? Do you believe he's generous? Or here's, here's the other one, and I, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to tell you your answer, but I'm going to think you're like the latter. Uh, or do you think he's sometimes generous? Like, like, like sometimes. Or, even, or maybe take, take it one step further. Or do you think he's generous to other people more than he's generous to you. See, the problem is that we use our cultural context and we project it on God. So my cultural context is technology, right? So I love technology when it works and it, it, it destroys me when it doesn't. <laughs> Am I right? Like we, like uh, uh, the, the, just the amount of chargers that are in this world to keep us moving, you know, like I purchased a suitcase and the sole reason I purchased it is because it has a little little thing for my little charger right in the suitcase. So when I'm traveling, it's like my phone's dangling with me, you know? I will never lose power. I will always be connected. But the moment that battery runs out, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? And this plane doesn't have a charger? You're flying in the air in a seat. Come on, Trace, relax. Like that's a miracle in and of itself. My Bluetooth in my, in my car, like, it's, like, worked forever. You know, you set it up. This is the greatest thing, you know, that cars have this most of the time. I'm so bougie. You guys have Bluetooth. Do you not? That's weird. It's, like, every car has that now. It is, like, connects to your car, you know, and all of a sudden, I'm, like, listening to, I'm tried by fire, you know, I'm listening to it in my car. I'm just jamming, and all of a sudden, it just goes out. Am I, it, like, won't work, and I cannot get that thing. I have updated the phone. I have turned that car on and off. I have checked the manual. I've done everything I possibly get. I cannot get that Bluetooth to work anymore, and I'm like, technology sucks. <laughs> Phones are the worst. Cars are awful. <laughs> Do you want to move to Africa? <laughs> like, what is your problem, right? But that's sort of how we treat our perspective of God's generosity. It's awesome when we see it and feel it and experience it, and then we're like, Psh. when we're going through something, when God hasn't answered the prayer in the time that we want, if we're, if, if we're experiencing something in our life, if there's a difficulty, a disappointment, there's maybe a, a separation in a relationship or friendship, whatever, whatever it may be, you got fired from a job, you're sick in your body, no matter what, God is still generous. And he's still good and he's still faithful. And this is the scary thing I think about Christians all over the world is we struggle with this. We are good when we are good. But I don't know how good of a representative we are of Jesus Christ when something difficult is, is facing us or we're facing or we're going through. And my, whew, if I can get anything across to us today, it is this. No matter what you go through, hell or high water, God is good. Furthermore, God is generous. And Psalm chapter 8 gives us this picture. Now, I, I, I like it because 
he gives, you know, David's penning the psalm, and he kind of gives us this, like, crazy picture of creation, right? And, um, and I don't know that much about um, creation, so I totally Googled all of this, but it's fascinating, so I hope it blesses you. Um, but you see the vastness and generosity of God through creation, and it's an important framework, I think, for this talk today, because if you can really see how generous God is with creation, why wouldn't he, too, be so generous with you? Right, so this, is, this blows my mind. So there's 25, I don't know if you know this. If you came to the 9 a.m., you know now. There are 25,000 different species or varieties of orchids. Just one flower, an orchid. Now, I'm fascinated by this because we just got married on New Year's Eve and I really wanted lots of beautiful flowers. I mean, like, I cared so deeply about the flowers. Um, the food, I was like, eh, whatever. But the flowers, I was like, they must be, like, like I want people to be like, oh, my gosh, you know? So my favorite flower is a peony. Well, it's not season, you know, it's not the time. And where I don't know about here, but like for us, is it like May? It's like May, June, you can get peonies. So I, uh, my florist was like, we, I, found a, I found peonies, we can get them. I'm like, awesome. And she's like, we have to fly them in from Iraq. <laughs> and I was like, my dad is going to kill me. Until I got smart. And I go, oh, Dad, I really want these peonies. It's my favorite flower. And it's crazy because it's like they're coming from, like, you know, the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Modern day. Iraq. Got him. Dad was like, write that chick. Bring in those. He's a preacher, you know. My dad loves that stuff. So I was like, I got peonies. And I just love flowers. And... Um, and it, 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 there's just something about, there's something about the variety of God. He has this, and that's just orchids. Not only are there 25,000 orchids, there are like 400,000 species of flowers. 400,000 different ones, the different smells, and, and they, they, they grow in different places and at different times. 400,000, like God is just like, goes all out. There's 60,000 species of trees. Like, that's a lot of trees. Like, I know apple, pear, you know, like, what else? Like, what else grows on a tree? I don't know, but there's a lot of them. I'm like, I stop at those two, you know? But it's like, God is so vast. Like, he's not going to stop at just, oh, I'm just going to create a couple. I'm going to go crazy. And then there are um, 200,000, this is crazy, there are 200,000 edible plants. I don't even know what that is, but, like, I'm kind of curious now. I'm going to like, what if I just try them all, you know? Like there's 200,000 edible plants. The one I'm going to talk to the Lord about because I don't understand. There are 750,000 different kind of insects. I don't know, Lord. I don't get that one. Like I don't think that was necessary, but you're God, not me. There's, there are over uh, 6.5 million. This is when it gets crazy. 6.5 million like land species, so land animals, mammals, all that kind of stuff, 6.5 million. There are 2.2 million ocean species. That is why we don't get in the ocean, y'all. <laughs> There's a lot of things down there we don't know. <sighs> but just, I mean, go, why, why? Do you ever think, do you just ever stop and think, well, God, why so many? Like, it's awesome, but like, is that necessary? Did you need to create that many animals and that many species and that many different kinds of flowers. And, and I, I mean, you are so, you, you spend so much attention to detail in creating each and every one of them. It's just because God is so majestic. He doesn't go halfway in anything he creates. He didn't go halfway when he made you. He doesn't go, oh, I'm just going to throw something together. Hope it works. 
He's majestic. And he, oh my, he loves to create and to make things beautiful and vast. And so here's God. And then it gets so crazy when you start talking, and and David talks about it in Psalm chapter 8. Then you start talking about the stars. And this gets crazy, crazy, crazy to me. So I didn't know this um, because I wasn't good at science at all. Barely passed. But guys, here I am today. The Lord can use you in miraculous ways. Um, but I, I, I find this fascinating. There are 10 billion galaxies in the universe. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> but it's so crazy, right? Anything in the billions, I'm like, interesting. 10 billion galaxies. Some science person is out there like, what an idiot. Get a new preacher. <laughs> oh, I'll win you over. 10 billion galaxies. And in each galaxy, so of the 10 billion galaxies, in each galaxy, there's over 100 billion stars. We're in a galaxy. We're one of 100 million galaxies. Does your brain hurt? Mine does too. All that you need to know is this, this last one. Woo, gets you. With all that being said, there are over 1 billion trillion stars in the universe. A billion trillion my, my mind doesn't compute that. That's how many stars are in the universe. And it reminds me of Psalm 19 when, 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 when the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. One billion trillion stars. Which fascinates me because Genesis like, uh, doesn't really like let you assume that stars are a big deal to God. So like after I read this, I was like, man, I'm going to go back to Genesis at the creation story and I'm going to see about how God made those stars. Like he, oh man, a hundred trillion billion or billion trillion. See, I don't know. It's just a lot. <laughs> Stick with a lot. Okay. On your notes, put a lot of stars. <laughs> but in Genesis chapter one, It says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be uh, for signs for the seasons and for the days and for the years. And let the lights be in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Then he says, and God made the two great lights. And here we go. We're getting excited. Okay. He made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Oh, and by the way, and the stars. (laughs) Spends all this time talking about the sun and the moon. There are one billion trillion stars, and God's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, I made stars. Like, it's not a big deal, guys. That's how generous our God is. He sets the stars perfectly, perfectly, names them, sets them, puts them exactly where he wants them to be. And he sets the moon and and, and the sun, and he creates his universe the way it should be. And he just goes, oh, a star here and a star here and a star here. This mirrors the vastness in creation, mirrors the generosity of God towards you. If he can spend that much time on stars, imagine his love and generosity towards you. I mean, come on. And the stars, Moses tells us in Genesis. That that God is so vast. He's so radically generous. 
He's so extravagant. It's just who God is. Now, I imagine reading this story, or as I read it, I imagine David who penned it, and, and just imagine his, what, what he's thinking as he's writing Psalm chapter 8. And like, imagine he's just sitting outside, laying outside, looking up at the sky. Now, what's fascinating is that David doesn't have the Google that I had to, to find this stuff out. He didn't have, they didn't have science class, you know. He probably would have passed. He doesn't have a telescope. He's just looking up and he sees the stars. And as he sees them, not only does he see the majesty of his God, but it causes him, and I think this is a key to understanding God's generosity, he actually recognizes in that moment when you see his generosity, his majesty, his beauty, his power, just the vastness of our creator, all of a sudden you do really realize how insignificant you are. But this isn't Debbie Downer. Like, I'm not one of those preachers that go, you are a worm. <laughs> Suffer for Jesus. No, but, but in order to understand his generosity, you better know who you are in his story. You're not the author. We're not living in our world, and God can fit in when we want him to. We are living in his story, in his world. He's the created one. And he's the generous host of his creation. But I think we flip it. And we think, oh, we're a big deal. And God better show some generosity towards me because I've been loving him, being faithful. I went to all the sessions of conference. And I'm at church on a Sunday morning. Recognize. (laughs) We don't verbally say these things, but we often think them. We often think that we are a bigger deal than our God. And we have to flip that. Our God is big and majestic and powerful and sovereign and good. He's faithful. He's consistent when we're not. He's, He's everything we're not. And yet he's so gracious towards us. He loves us. He has plans for us. He's so crazy. He wants to use us to build his kingdom and be a part of his story when we're messed up and crazy and we curse God and we get mad at God and he's just smiling going, I love him. And I got good plans for him. That is the generosity of our God. We have to know that. But we have moments of that. Usually that happen in church, conference, you know, or like someone sends you a good devotional and you have a spark and you're like, yeah, God, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. And then something hits you. And then all of a sudden, you go back to, God, I think you might be sometimes generous. Or I, I can see your generosity towards them. But for whatever reason, God, I just, you know, maybe you're mad at me. Maybe I did something wrong. And we forget his vastness. We forget how majestic he really is. Now, going back to Genesis, Genesis helps us, I think. Because it's in Genesis 2. It's, you know, the creation story. Jesus, or God says this to Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, freely eat in Genesis chapter 2. He goes, oh, see, all this, hey, I I made man and woman, I put them in the garden, and then I I created all this. And he goes, freely eat. And then we don't sit there for a minute. We go right on, and then it says, except for do not eat from this one, which is, you know, the one tree. We go to that, and we land there, and we sit there as we read Genesis chapter 2, and we're like, yeah, don't eat that bad. We're like, oh. We tend to focus on the prohibition, the one thing that God prohibits. 
instead of sitting on for a minute, we kind of read scripture a little bit different. I think we got to slow down when we read scripture. We, we just breeze past that he says, freely eat, which in other translations mean eat till your heart's content. Remember, he made 60,000 species of trees. Can you imagine how many trees are in the garden? There's like all sorts of trees. There's like fruit we didn't even know existed. And it's coming off of trees. And we're like, we can eat, we can eat that? Oh yeah, you can eat all that. God just says, just don't eat from this one. This one's bad for you. That's the only reason I want, this one will help you. This will bring death. It won't bring life. It won't bring fulfillment. It won't bring joy. It won't bring anything good. So just stay away from that one. But all of this, go for it and have a ball. Like he created his universe for our enjoyment. But yet we look at the one thing God hasn't done yet or the one thing he promised and we haven't seen yet. Or the one thing we want, but we see everybody else has. And we, we see that and we conclude God's not generous. Or God's not good to me. He might be good to them. But man, he, doesn't, he must not love me as much as he loves them. Or why has God not come through for me? He promised this. We go on and on and on. God said, freely eat. You can have all of this. God is not a prohibitionist. He's the author of generosity. But the enemy knows how to get you from believing he's so generous. He just gets you focused on the one thing. Well, you haven't got healed yet, and they've been praying for you. Or your baby hasn't come to Jesus yet, and you've been contending for it, and you fasted. You did a Daniel fast. Not very many people will do that. And we just think, yeah, we start to listen to that whisper and we go, yeah, that's right. God, why are you generous? And then you see your friend's friends whose baby came back to Jesus and you think, well, they didn't fast. That's weird. Why has that person got healed in, the, like, in a moment? And I've been contending for 20 years. And why, why are they married? They're not even, they don't even go to church all the time. Why are they in ministry? Why do they get to get on the platform? Like, I haven't seen them read their Bible. <sighs> Come on. Why did I lose my job? And why did I lose a loved one? God, why did you allow this to happen and that to happen? We focus on the one thing. It's usually just one thing too. And God is, God is so good, so great. And he just, it's like he wants to turn your head and he just wants to go, but look at all of this. See, God is, God is the designer and the creator of enjoyment. Do you know this? He created all the things in this world for you to enjoy. I'm married now, so I understand sex is one of them. In marriage. Food and family and football, movies, sunsets. I'm convinced God created sunsets just for our enjoyment. Art. TV shows that are good. Music. That's holy. He created it all. See, I grew up in a family. I'm... I'm I'm a preacher's kid, and so my parents were the pastors growing up, and my mom was a smart mom. If your mom in the room, you should you'd pick a, you know, pick this up. Well, my mom, Connie, sweet Connie, she would do. She made our house the house to be at. She had the most food you can imagine. Like, she, we would go, Mom, we're going to bring some friends over, you know, this the Friday night. Is that cool? Can we invite some friends over, my, my older siblings? And I, my mom would be like, great, I'll go get some food. My mom would go to Costco, and she'd load up like she was about to feed an army. Like, she, was, she thought she was feeding, like, an entire football team or something, you know? So she gets all this food, and we come, and our friends would be pumped, you know? They'd be like, oh, my gosh. And my mom would kind of get the one time we get the bad food, you know? 
So she's getting all the sugar and all the stuff that maybe they couldn't have at home. We were like, we don't get this either. Mom's better when friends come. And she'd always buy, she'd always buy like the newest gaming system, you know, because she's like those boys, they like to play games and I want them to be at my house. I want, I want to know where they are. I want them to be safe. I want them to have fun. Being a Christian is fun. That's what my mom would think. And so she'd buy this. We had cable TV. Not everyone had cable until we got caught watching MTV and then my dad cut off the cable for a while. We got it back, caught us again, turned it off. One more time we learned, we just learned to turn that channel real quick before, the, before dad came downstairs. But we had, we were the house everyone wanted to be at. What was interesting is our parents had the strictest rules of all our friends, the strictest. Like we didn't go, I, I, I went to a dance in eighth grade cause I lied and said it was a banquet. My brother heard that I said I was going to a banquet and my big brother who was in high school drove to my middle school and dragged me out of the gymnasium and said, you are not going to a dance. We weren't even allowed to go to dances. Like we had to come from a strict family. No one that came to our house ever thought about the rules. No one. No one was like, I don't want to go to the Wilds house cause they have lots of rules. We can't watch this show. We can't. Are you kidding me? Everyone wanted to come to the Wild House because it was abundant. There was food for days. There was games. There was TV. My mom, at one point, we had a hot tub in the basement with carpet. The boys would take a football and throw it, and they would jump and dive into the, the, the hot tub and water. The whole basement smelled like chlorine, you know? It's just the house to be at. Why? Because it was generous. And you didn't think about the stuff you couldn't do or you couldn't have. All you thought about was all the overflowing generosity and abundance and fun that you got to enjoy. That is who God is. God is generous. He's a generous host. He's not a restrictor. He's not trying to keep you from the promises and fulfillment and the joy. No matter where you're at, you can live in the abundance of Jesus. What is true of Jesus can be true of you right now. Well, I don't feel it. I don't, I'm not living in it. I'm waiting for a promise. Well, guess what? He is going to bring it to pass. Just live in his abundance right now. Enjoy his creation. Enjoy his beauty. Trust his timing. Know that he is good and he's good all the time. We say it, but do we believe it? When the doctor gives us a bad report, when our spouse runs out on us, when our children don't want to follow Jesus anymore, when we get fired from a job, when we lose our money in a bad investment, when I'm sick in my body and I'm tired in my mind, do I trust? Can I look to the stars like David and I can, can I say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Whoo, those stars up there. If you can spend that time on them, I know you have plans for me and you love me and you know me and I'm known by you. You haven't forgotten me. Why? Because he's generous. It's who he is. He can't be anything other than generous. Don't focus on the one thing. Several years ago, God gave what I thought was going to be the day that I was going to get married. I got married on New Year's Eve, but 12 years ago, I thought I was getting married. I was with a relationship with this guy. He asked me to marry him. Three days later, he took his own life. And I, and I thought, okay, God, where are you? 
you know, I, I believed in God. I'm a faith girl. I grew up in church. Love Jesus was all my. I've been a good. I was like a good pastor's daughter, you know, not one of those crazy ones. Like I was good. And I remember the first word that God spoke to me actually through one of our pastor friends of ours, Pastor Jude, who did our marriage counseling, which was crazy. I didn't put this all connect to this until after our wedding. But he was a he was the one that called me. You know, weeks after. He had died and he gave me the word. He goes, Isaiah 61, Tracy, I pray over you. He says, I will give you, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of your disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. 12 years ago, I marked it in my Bible. You know, have you done that? God gives you a word, you mark it. Over the years, uh, another person would just, you know, prophesy or someone would encourage you and be like, I just feel like, you know, double portion or God wants to give you this. And like over the years, God would give me that word. But, you know, I was like after one year, you know, you get those words, you're like, it's going to happen in a year. A year from now. I was like, a year went by. I was like, still living in the not double portion. <laughs> you know, five years goes by and I'm, I love Jesus and I'm serving Jesus. And I'm going to say the side note, women, I think I already said it in the beginning, but come on. Just give Jesus everything. Guys who are waiting to get married, come on, just give Jesus everything. You're not half of a person. You're not. That's from the devil. You're a whole person. you got a plan and a purpose for your life, whether you're single, you're married. I, I feel this for someone in the room that maybe is recently divorced and you feel like you've lost purpose and destiny and calling. Stop it. That is the devil making you focus on the one thing. Let me tell you something today. God has given you a plan and a purpose. Your best years are ahead. You're going to see more signs and wonders, more things in your life in the future. So I waited for this promise. And you know how God gives you those words? And I think people are sitting in the room tonight with a word. You're sitting on it. You've had a word. You've had a promise. And you've been holding on to it. I know many women, you know, are waiting for a baby. Or maybe you're waiting for a relationship. Maybe someone in this room, you're waiting for a, a, a promotion in your job. I really felt this strongly during worship. There are people that are waiting for their children to come back to Jesus. And you've been waiting a really long time. And it's easy to just, like, give up on the word and the promise and the generosity of God and just to fade into the default, which is, I guess, God, you're generous to them. And I'm going to still serve him. I'm still going to go to church, whatever. But you lose the sense of his generosity and his majesty and his extravagance towards you. Well, for me, one thing is I, I try to hold on to that word, but I didn't hold on to it where I was like, oh, every day I'm like quoting it. You know, I didn't write it a bunch of places in my life. I, it was a word God gave me in my heart. I hid it in my heart. When we got married on New Year's Eve, we had this amazing um, ceremony and we're standing there doing communion. We had all these amazing people come around us because half my family's in ministry, so it's awesome. They all were there to pray over us, you know? It was like, let's just make this power. Let's let the Holy Ghost just come. So we're taking communion and they surround us and they're praying for us. And my cousin, you know her, Wendy Perez, she just starts praying out. And she goes, Trace, I just I feel this for you guys. It's double portion." Just a double portion is going to be, and I just, and in that moment, he reminded me 12 years earlier, 12 years. Feels like the woman with the issue of blood, doesn't it? There's something biblical in that. 12 years, all of a sudden, it was like full circle. God just stamped on the covenant and Mary. He's like, see, it's coming. When I was coming here, I felt God gave me this word for you. I think there are people sitting on a promise, sitting on a word. And you've been waiting for God to speak. And he spoke this to me. Jeremiah 1 says this. Jeremiah 1, 11 says, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? 
And I said, I see, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to him, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. He's watching over the word. You know what God did for 12 years? He watched over that word, double portion. Oh, it's coming, baby girl. You just wait. Oh, you're disappointed. I know. It's okay. I'm watching over this word. It's going to come. It's going to come to fruition. It's a promise. Now, the almond branch, this is what's powerful. Almond branch in the Middle East, it's the first tree in the Middle East to blossom. And before leaves come, a flower comes. It's this white, beautiful blossom that comes before. It's the earliest spring tree. And it's the promise of spring. Everybody knows when you see the almond tree blossom, you know spring is on its way. It's a promise for the fulfillment. I say to you today, Church 1132, what do you see today? I want you to open your eyes and see an almond branch. Because the promise of God, the word that he spoke over you, he is watching over it. He is standing over it. He is covering it. He's surrounding it. He's walking it to fruition in your life. And I declare, I prophesy that 2020 will be a year of words coming to life and fruition. I believe the promise of God today is look at the almond branch. It's the promise for what God has for you. He will do what he said he will do. Why? Because he's generous. Thanks for listening to the Church 1132 broadcast. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com.